The scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, in Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver their child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Wednesday night, oh, what a night. There was a real live camel on the church's property. I watched it walk across the the parking lot from my office window. I really just thought we were going to have like a llama dressed up as a camel. I didn't realize what this was. Oh, my gosh. There was a real live donkey in the nativity. There were sheep and goats and rams. And there were people in costumes showing us a live nativity setting. From 6 to 6.20, my daughter was Mary, and my son was a shepherd, and the weather was perfect. The white lights were beautiful, and hundreds of hundreds of people came. We fed them soup. We sang carols here in the sanctuary. It made for a wonderful start to the Advent season. As many of us do, when, I'm a, and when I am placed in such a situation, I start to remember... I remember the Christmas pageant the December after my daughter Allison was born 10 years ago when she played baby Jesus, and Mike and I had to keep her quiet on stage for an hour and a half. There was the Christmas program when I was a kid, and we walked all through the church, and we knocked on doors looking for the Christ baby and Christ child, and every time we did that, we were told there was no room There was the dinner theater where I got to play the innkeeper's daughter who was being courted by two of the shepherds who came to visit Jesus, and I really liked that one. But my favorite was the year that our children's choir for our annual musical did the musical Shoby Shares a Miracle, and I got to be Abigail, the innkeeper's daughter. I played a spoiled brat who was mean to Shoby, who was the stable boy who discovered the miracle. And my role was all about how great I was and how lowly he was. And I got to talk about how my dad was going to buy me a pony. And I got to sing about it. And I got to do all of this while the Christ child was born in our stable because there was no room in our Bethlehem Inn. I loved it. I was a great spoiled brat. And when Pastor Rick and I were determining who was preaching what this Advent, he shared with me his sermon series and this week's lesson 
was to be Christmas ignored, focusing on the innkeeper. I jumped on it. After all, I played the daughter of the innkeeper twice, and I've written scripture or written stories about the, the wife of the innkeeper that have been played in skits and things. I know the innkeeper. I know this story. Except, I don't know if you've ever realized this, there is no innkeeper in the Christmas story. If you read the two biblical versions of this Christmas story, Matthew doesn't even have an inn in the story, and all it says in Luke is, there was no room in the inn. Never does it say, the innkeeper shook his head and said, there's no room. There, this was a remarkable realization for me. Of course, when I put on my biblical scholar hat, I know this, I remember this, but when I get caught up in the pageantry of the whole event, of the story, the innkeeper looms large. He's the villain. He's the one who turned Mary and Joseph away, who left them to have to to deliver the Christ child out back in a barn. The innkeeper was the one who was represented in pageants by the mean boy. He would stand there with his arms folded and shake his head no, but there's really no record of this person. So I did a little research. I could find no description of an innkeeper character that we've created. I read a lot about inns, though, and from what I read, we can draw some conclusions about how this innkeeper might have been. Inns in biblical time were not what they are now. There were two different types of inns. There was an inn like we might think of it with multiple rooms, a holiday inn, B.C. style, J. Ellsworth Callis writes that in the time of Jesus, inns were meager, probably a series of thatched rooms built around a central courtyard, looking more like covered porches than rooms. Travelers looking for a room would have brought their own food and a pot to cook it in, their own bedding and firewood. Innkeepers of such inns were generally unsavory people carrying such a reputation because their inns tended to be places where immoral and criminal behavior happened. An innkeeper for this type of inn fits the villain role. Now, the other type of inn was more of a bed and breakfast without the bed, the breakfast, or the smell of lilacs. The inn may refer to a place where caravanners and pilgrims could spend the night, a guest room in a house, or a sleeping area in a single-room Palestinian peasant home. The innkeeper of this type of an inn may have had time to offer a sincere apology and walk the couple to the stable in the back. Now, because we know that Bethlehem was over and overflowing with all kinds of people. We read that in Scripture. People had to come. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world, and everyone went to his town to register. And of course, the statement, there was no room in the inn. We can assume that the inn referred to in this Scripture was more the Holiday Inn, B.C.-style kind of an inn. But either way, we get the idea that there were many people in Bethlehem. It would have been common practice and assumption that those in need of a room working for the government would have guaranteed rooms, as would businessmen and the wealthy. Innkeepers who might have preferred to open their home to or their inn to a couple like Mary and Joseph would have had to give their rooms to the authorities out of fear, thus leaving with the statement of no room, 
the crossed arms, the shaking of the head. In hindsight, we wonder if the no room in the inn was all a part of God's divine plan, the baby Jesus ignored and rejected from the beginning. Rejection is an integral part of the human Jesus, the rejected king who came to show a new life and create a new order. He was despised by people and put to death, despised from the very beginning when he came to poor circumstances, rejected from the inn with the poorest of the poor for his first visitors. A softer look makes us wonder about the innkeeper, the person. He must have had no idea what was going on. He was busy, caught up with guests, catering to the masses, making sure the government officials were able to conduct their business no matter how shady. He had a lot on his plate. Maybe he took one look at them, noticed Mary was pregnant, and said, there's no room, go catch shelter in the barn out back. Maybe he never gave it a second thought, just motioned out back and got back to caring for the important guests, the feared and the powerful. Maybe he never knew what happened on his own property because he was so preoccupied. I always imagine that the shepherds stopped at his door first looking for the child, but it doesn't say that. That comes from pageant authors taking liberties with the story. There's every reason to believe that the innkeeper was a busy man, no time to worry about the poor people outside when he had people under his roof who could make his life miserable. I bet he was oblivious to the birth out back. Perhaps we've created this idea of the innkeeper, this character in the birth narrative, because we need him. We need him because we're like him. We, too, shut Christ out of our lives. We do it in a variety of ways, in the hustle and bustle of the season, the shopping and the wrapping and the baking and going to parties, making our lists and checking them not just twice, but many, many times, over and over each day leading up to the day. We set our sights on making a perfect Christmas experience for ourselves and for our families. We have high hopes that we intend to fill it's a busy, busy time until we reach that big day and feel let down because it's all over and we were too busy to really appreciate it. Not that we limit it to Christmas time. We shut out the Christ child on a regular basis because we're too preoccupied. Some of us are preoccupied with work, feeling like there's no alternative but to let it consume us getting things done, fulfilling our demands, keeping hours that we know aren't healthy, but we can't help it. Some are consumed with school. We work hard, striving for grades, looking towards the best colleges, achieving at sports and activities so that we will be rewarded. There's no room for anything but drive. Some of us are preoccupied with our drive for success. Others are preoccupied because life has not turned out the way it was supposed to. There's no room for the silliness of Christmas, for the sweet story of a baby. There's too much responsibility, too much to focus on, too much to strive for. Some of us are preoccupied with grief. Some are lonely or sad or hurting. We try to breeze past Christmas. We play the part, but we don't get caught up in it. We leave the decorations and the presents and the celebrations to someone else, try to lock the memories away. No room for them. They make it worse. We hope that if we just close our eyes through the month of December, we will make it through, all the while forgetting that Christ came, that we might know that God is with us, that we are not alone. 
Some of us ignore Christmas because we're cut off from relationship and anger burns within us. The idea of Christmas and pretend happiness only makes it burn brighter. The anger never goes away, and certainly not with all of the hubbub of Christmas, not the pageantry or the poetry, the love and the laughter. It's much easier to hold on to the anger, forgetting that the one whom we celebrate at Christmas came to teach forgiveness. We have no room for Christ who calls us to stop, to slow down, to be still and know that God is God. To find him in the midst of all that consumes us is near impossible unless he somehow makes it on our list or breaks in in disguise. It's not that we ignore Christmas because we don't love Jesus. It's not malice. We're not villains. We do it because we're all filled up. And most of the time, we don't even realize that we've shut him out. I don't think the innkeeper ever knew he shut out Christ. He just had no room for him. It's just the way we sometimes go through life, not ever knowing that Jesus is looking for room in our lives. We get so preoccupied by other things that we don't recognize Christ knocking on our doors. But that doesn't stop Jesus. Christmas comes in the midst of our preoccupation. If there's one thing that these next few weeks of crazy holiday mayhem should remind us, it's that it is exactly during these most hectic harried hardest moments in life that God's presence hovers nearest us. What appear to be our most chaotic, congested, convoluted times are precisely the times that we can expect most to experience God's presence, so long as the chaos, congestion, and convolution don't preoccupy us so much that we ignore it. The truth is that Christ comes to all, even with those who have no room for him, to those not looking for him, to those who don't even want him. Christ comes to inns that are full, to lives that are crowded, to people who are busy. It comes to the lonely, the hurting, the poor. It comes in grief and those in anger, those in fear and those who feel insecure. Christmas comes to those with no homes, let alone rooms, to those who are left out, marginalized, ignored, and shut out. Christmas comes. Christmas comes. You can't stop it. You can ignore it, but you can't stop it. You can ignore it. Ignore the ways Christ speaks to you. You can ignore the bell ringers at Kroger's, the grumpy cashier at Target who mumbles happy holidays as she gives you your bags. You can ignore the kid with no friends who tries hard to fit in, the child with wide-eyed wonder looking at the nativity, mesmerized by the fingers, figures, the songs that herald the coming of the king. You can ignore the husband spending his first Christmas without his wife and the wife who faces a future without her husband. You can ignore the people who tell you they have no room. You can ignore the camel on the lawn and the child dressed as an angel who can't sit still because it's so exciting. You can ignore the anthems and the carols and the scriptures of the season and the requests for help. You can. You can ignore all the ways that Christ comes to you. But Christ will still come. You can ignore it all, too busy, too preoccupied to fight Christ on your doorstep. Or you can embrace it and make room. You can slow down and take notice of the places that Christ is born. You can set aside your doubts and your judgments and welcome the baby. You can remember the story that God chose to put on flesh, to be born a baby to unlikely parents in a barn where there was no room for them in the inn. 
You can remember that it was shepherds, the poor and the outcasts, to whom the angels first delivered the news of his birth. And you can remember that his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that is just too good of a story, just too powerful of a gift to ignore. You can remember that the very God who chose to become human for you came for all and is born each Christmas saying, I am here. I love you. I am with you. Don't ignore him. Open your eyes. Open your hearts. Make room. Amen.